Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, it's Steven, with a V. I share some thoughts on the big ideas of Moon Knight Episode 1, The Goldfish Problem. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can also support the podcast by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am not joined by any guests, but I am here to discuss our first new piece of MCU content in 2022, episode one of Moon Knight. Since we're kicking off a new series, I'm going to identify this as a structured season of the show. This will be called season seven, somewhat arbitrarily. If you are new to There Was an Idea and you go through the back catalog, you will see you will see that I have a, a couple of seasons of movie analysis and, and commentaries and guests. And then I have different seasons for the different Disney Plus series. But I also have a ton of other content out there. If you have stuck with me since the end of December, when Hawkeye wrapped up, you may have heard some of my thoughts on non-MCU films of 2021. You may have heard my wrap-up episode for 2021 in the MCU with Sean and Ellie. You may have heard me branch out into the world of Batman a little bit, specifically in my most recent episode with guest Darby Harn, who was wonderful when we, when we talked about uh, the legacy of that character, as well as Matt Reeves, the Batman. But today I am back with new MCU content, and it feels good. It feels reinvigorating to not only have a new swatch in the ever-growing MCU tapestry to dig into, but one that does feel entirely new. New to me in that I, going in, was entirely unfamiliar with the character of Moon Knight. Well, as familiar as any MCU fan who was aware that the show was coming and obviously watched the trailer and heard some speculation and discussions on other podcasts that I listened to. So I had that level of familiarity. But prior to any of that, I did not know who this character was. I have never read any of the comics featuring this character. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think there are many other MCU fans who, uh, frankly, even Marvel Comics fans who have maybe not gone as deep into the lore of the Marvel Comics world as to be familiar with Moon Knight. But I am very excited to get to know him. And what's also exciting and refreshing about meeting this new character, getting acquainted with his world, getting acquainted with a new corner of the MCU, is that it feels like just that. This is the first of the Disney Plus shows that is entirely based around a new character. It is an introduction to a new character. And that feels really good. In the first episode, there were no overt connections to the larger MCU world. And one of the things that I and other fans enjoy so much about the MCU storytelling is that weaving of the tapestry and those intertextual connections. However, it did feel just like a breath of fresh air to be able to just engage with something new. So if you are new here to There Was an Idea, welcome. I hope you stick around. Just a couple of quick 
notes on this show. Typically, I am joined by a guest or guests each week to dig into the big ideas of whichever episode of an MCU series or whichever film we might be discussing. As I mentioned, I also have some other types of episodes that you can enjoy. Fun and games types episodes, we'll say, uh, such as MCU movie and character drafts featuring my friends Trey and Jude from the podcast MCU Need to Know. So shout out to them. Unfortunately, for the first two episodes of Moon Knight, I will not be joined by any guests, but I do have some guests lined up for later in the run of the series. So you can look forward to that. The approach that I and usually my guests take here on There Was an Idea is not to recap the episode or the movie, nor is it to really review the episode or the movie, but rather to honor whatever particular lens a guest might bring and really structure our discussion around the analysis of big ideas or themes. Before digging into some of those big ideas, I'm going to start with what I was expecting going into the series and what surprised me about episode one. Some of the discourse around the show before it premiered was around anticipation of it being darker in tone than the other MCU series, perhaps darker in tone than anything we've seen before in the MCU. So that was something that I was curious about going in. I certainly enjoy a dark tone. You can see my most recent episodes about Batman, maybe hear a little bit more about that. I enjoy horror, which I've talked about on the show before, that I've, I've been interested and excited about the prospect of getting into a little bit more of the horror co- corner of the MCU. So I was wondering about that. I was aware of the fact that while the Netflix Defender Saga series were just added to Disney+, Plus. Even still, this new show, Moon Knight, had the TV-14 rating, which is the same rating that the previous Disney Plus shows have had. So by that rating, it certainly didn't seem to suggest that it would be at the same level of uh, violence and gore and maturity as the, as the Netflix shows. So keeping that in mind, I was looking forward to seeing Oscar Isaac, who is an actor who I greatly admire and have enjoyed all of his work that I've seen. He has a real gravitas that he brings to to his roles, and I was looking forward to seeing that. I also enjoy Ethan Hawke, who I knew was portraying the antagonist in this series, so I was looking forward to seeing him in that role as well. And in addition to that, I would say the only other thing that I was expecting, you know, I was aware of the fact that this character in uh, some of his various iterations has had some version of disassociative identity disorder. And I was curious, am still curious about exactly how that is going to play out in the show, if it's something that is going to be presented as a, a side effect of sorts of something supernatural happening, or if it is a key aspect of our protagonist's character, something that he has always, that's always been a part of him. So curious to hear a little bit more about that, see how that plays out. So beyond those, those few things that I knew going in, and uh, some of the expectations I had around enjoying this because I was attracted to the idea of the darker tone, a little bit of elements for I enjoy those actors. I would say that uh, episode one exceeded my expectations. I was looking forward to it. 
The trailer looked awesome, but I will say I, because I didn't know what to expect, I was really genuinely pleased and enjoyed the first episode a lot. I'd say that the thing I liked most about episode one is the way that we're really thrown into this unfamiliar world for us as MCU fans, as I mentioned, not overtly connected to any other part of the Marvel Universe just yet, and an unfamiliar character to me and many other fans as well, not someone we've met in the MCU before, certainly, and the way in which our learning about him and getting to know him and our confusion around what is going on mirrors his own. And that's a storytelling technique that I enjoy a lot. It's one of the things that I like a lot about the movie Captain Marvel is that the is that the the nonlinear storytelling in that movie we're kind of confused and thrown off and it's uh, kind of a bizarre way to approach an origin, but that is a reflection of Carol's story and how she is learning about herself and her past in these snippets in the same way that we are. And so similarly, I, I like the way that we were thrown into this world with Steven as our POV character. We are observing him and his idiosyncrasies and his routines. And when he has his moments that he gets lost, we get lost as well. And then we're snapped back the moment that he snapped back. And we are confused when he's confused and sad when he's sad and scared when he is scared. And I think that is a real excellent accomplishment of the first episode of a series with a brand new character. So that was perhaps what I liked most about episode one. And uh, I wouldn't say that that came as a huge surprise to me. The tone, perhaps, if I'm thinking about maybe what surprised me the most in this episode, the tone is interesting because it both is and isn't dark. Um, to the point that I was just making, what we don't see is scarier than what we do see sometimes. What can be left to our imagination is scarier than what we can see on the screen sometimes. And so these moments when Stephen goes somewhere else and then he snaps back and he looks down and his hands are covered in blood and there are men lying on the ground dead next to him. Or even more so the moment when he is driving the cupcake van and he loses himself for a moment and we lose him for a moment. He comes back, there's a gun in his hand, he turns around and there's a man's body dead with a gun wound to his head in the back of the car, in the back of the van, and then his body falls out of the van. Scary, gruesome, and we don't see it actually happen. We don't see the violence perpetrated, but th what we don't see is kind of more powerful than what we do. So I, if this is intentional, and I have to imagine it somewhat is, that is a really interesting way of sticking with that TV-14 rating by not going above and beyond and showing a lot of the active violence, and yet we still feel the impact of it, and it does feel very mature in that way. And yet, at the same time, I just said the phrase, driving the cupcake van, and the Wham song, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, is playing, and there's a cupcake that falls off the top of the van. And there are those elements of MCU humor and a lightness of tone that are juxtaposed with the darkness here. I am not exactly sure where that's going. In episode one, it worked for me. The bit of physical 
humor around Stephen not being able to give the the scarab to Arthur Harrow or the avatar <laughs> joke that didn't take away for me from the overall impact of the episode but it will be an interesting balance a delicate balance that they'll have to maintain as the series continues i mentioned the wham needle drop great music in this episode overall beginning with a track called Every Grain of Sand by Bob Dylan, which was a cool way to start off the show. Great song. I, uh, I'm i a fan of Bob Dylan. He's not an artist who I talk too much about anymore in my life. I went through a phase when I was in high school where Bob Dylan was my absolute favorite artist, and I dove really deep into his discography. Um, that, was, that was a period of time. It's still has had an impact on me to this day. I've never claimed that my many interests align. I have many, many interests. <laughs> so it's a little Bob Dylan sidebar. Always, always cool to see some juxtaposition of, of music that I enjoy and never would have thought to associate with the MCU here in the world. So great song uh, and a great, great moment that I'll talk a little bit more in a moment. Um, other music in here. Oh, a Man Without Love by Engelbert Humperdinck plays when the Marvel title card sequence begins, continues to play as we are introduced to Steven and he's waking up and we get a glimpse into his, his morning routine. It also is reprised later in the episode. A very fitting song for our protagonist, Steven, Lonely is a Man Without Love. So before I share some more about my favorite moments in this episode, some standout moments related to Steven's character and where I think this show might be going, it's time to talk a little bit about themes, about significant objects and symbols, and about some of the other lenses that we might be able to bring to our viewing of this show. In Moon Knight, episode one, there was an idea about identity. It may come as no surprise that this is the big theme that I'm choosing to showcase here for episode one. As you know, if you have been a listener to the show for a while, identity is the overarching concept that I have associated with all of the MCU series and films that I have spent time talking about. It is one that is obviously broadly applicable, and what is interesting to me is the ways in which superhero stories as identity stories have similar things to communicate, things that often feel very tied to the superhero comic book world, but also feel relatable to us outside of it. And yet, for each of the characters that we spend time with, specifically in these MCU Disney Plus shows, which has given us the time to really go deep with some people who we had previously been introduced to and here with our guy Steven, learning about him through this series format, I'm struck by the unique ways in which the theme of identity plays out as well. And... This right here, Moon Knight, 
talk about an identity story. We are told from the description of the very first episode that Stephen has disassociative identities. And so we know the show is going to deal with the various ways in which um, that might have an impact on a person's life. We see him struggle even in episode one with confusion and lost time, what seems like it might be memory loss, but we're not sure. And as I mentioned previously too, I'm not entirely sure how much is, uh, the suggestion is that these effects are supernatural or, or not, which will be interesting to see. So, so regardless, we know that um, this, this disassociative identity disorder is a part of his story. And we are, are thrown in here with Stephen, one of the identities. I anticipate that we will get to know Mark Spector much, uh, much better in episode two. I'm, I'm assuming so anyway. I don't know if we will also meet other identities that share that share this same body and we will certainly find out their their relationship to Khonshu, the Egyptian god who seems to be running the show here uh the voice in the head here more on that later but from the very first episode this is a story about someone who there is so much that immediately makes him stand out makes him unique these idiosyncrasies these passions, these, these, these details that also immediately endear us to the character. I immediately like Stephen Grant. And some of that is, of course, due to the performance from Oscar, Oscar Isaac, who is wonderful and charismatic and who plays his loneliness and his isolation so heartbreakingly well. We learn about all of the things that make Stephen Stephen, his relationship to his goldfish, the care that he exhibits toward this one-finned fish, his phone calls to his mom, the voicemails that he leaves, the kindness he, he displays there, the kindness he shares with the performer who is um, a living statue performer, sharing what's going on with him in his life and sharing food and making sure that he gets his tip. The passion for and the intelligence, the knowledge that he has about ancient Egypt and his dedication and hard work to his job at the gift shop in the museum, despite being repeatedly rejected from a tour guide job. We find out that he's a vegan. And we also see that even as a vegan, he reaches a place of being so sad and heartbroken that he orders a steak in perhaps the most endearing way possible when he asks for the good bit of the steak. So already there's so much that we know about this character and we love him and we don't want to lose him. And yet he, there's this sense that he is losing himself. He's losing time. He's losing experiences. And that's scary. As much as we know about him, there's also a lot that we don't know. We don't know who is sharing this body with him. We don't, we don't know who, who his, his head partner or, or head partners are. We don't know what happens when he gets lost. Where does he go? Is he there at all? What is his relationship or what will be his relationship to Mark, to Khonshu, 
to Moon Knight. The more I think about it, the more I realize how ripe of an identity story this really is and just how well this first episode sets up this theme. I'd say that the theme is also further enhanced by the symbolism of mirrors. We see mirrors and reflections all over this episode, so it's clearly significant. Mirrors can be symbols of truth, reflections of truth. Mirrors obviously signify some sense of reflections of ourselves, getting to know ourselves, perhaps coming into conflict with how our self is projected to the outside world, reflected back to us. So repeatedly in this episode, we see Stephen Grant's reflection in a puddle of water, in the side of a bus, and in a number of scenes with mirrors in his home, in the elevator scene. At one point, we see, as he's getting ready for his date that doesn't actually happen, there's three panels to the mirror, so we see three of Stephen at once. Curious if that is symbolic to, you know, a number of, of identities that he might have. As things start to get a little bit more wild toward the end of the episode, we see, I think it's his bathroom mirror. There's a mirror somewhere in his home where we see who we now know is Mark staring back at him. And the elevator scene in the apartment, which is awesome and suspenseful, the mirrors in the elevator add to that feeling of fear. And elevators are so claustrophobic and the mirrors often serve to open them up, make them feel bigger, but in a really weird kind of way. <laughs> and I think this scene captured that really well. It's a great source of tension, seeing his reflection in the mirrors in the elevator. And then, of course, finally at the museum in the bathroom where the mirrors are working in such a way there's mirrors on either end. And so you see what appear to be like infinite numbers of Stevens <laughs> in reflection and um, certainly works in a really symbolic way as well as just really ramping up that tension. And of course, that's the scene in which he begins communicating directly with Mark. So this is an identity story, one in which mirrors and reflections certainly seem to be central certainly seems to suggest a story about discovering self, or perhaps in this case, selves, identity and identities, and the relationship among them. And maybe this idea about reflection or projection, about truth. And um, I'm really excited to see how that's going to unfold. Another lens to, to bring to the discussion of Moon Knight would certainly be through knowledge about Egyptian gods and ancient and ancient Egyptian history and mythology, an area that is not one that I have tons of knowledge on. I did some reading about Khonshu and Amit and the Ennead after watching the episode for the first time. Khonshu, who is, of course, the god of the moon and was considered to be a god of healing and yet also sometimes was depicted, sometimes as friendly, but sometimes as a darker, a darker presence. 
So interesting. Seems like that could go in a couple of different directions here. And Amit, who is known as the devourer of souls and participates in the ceremony of the weighing of the heart, which sounds a bit similar to what we see Arthur Harrow do in the episode, kind of this uh, this judgment by the goddess Amit uh, regarding a person's, a person's heart and whether or not they should be devoured or allowed to pass into the afterlife peacefully. According to an article I read on Nerdist, uh, she was seen as a reminder that one needed to live their life according to certain principles in order to avoid her clutches. And her image was sometimes used to ward off evil in ancient Egypt as that warning. So very interesting, obviously a number of different directions that the show can go in terms of connections to Egyptian mythology. We've seen in the MCU before Norse mythology or you know references to allusions to even characters with the same names as figures in Norse, in Norse mythology, but who are interpreted in different ways. So maybe we will see the same thing play out here with, with Egyptian gods. I am hoping uh, before the season is out to be able to speak with a guest who is far more knowledgeable than I am on ancient Egyptian history and mythology. So if that sounds like something that you would like to bring to the podcast, if you are listening, please do let me know. So before wrapping up, I do want to share some of my other favorite standout moments from the episode that I have not already touched on. And as I said, this was a great episode. I really enjoyed it very much. I've had the opportunity to watch it twice. I will likely watch it again before episode two comes out. All right, so here are some standouts. I mentioned earlier one of the things I liked about this show very much, about this first episode at least, that I liked very much was that there were no overt connections to other parts of the MCU. There was one thing that reminded me of someplace else that we've been in the MCU recently in a really surface level way, but I liked the reminder and that is and that is a reminder of Eternals. So first and foremost, the setting of London, which we see specifically the character of Cersei. This is where, where she lives at the beginning of the film. And she, there's a scene in which she is walking up to and into a museum. And the scene in which Stephen was walking up to and into the museum, I, I got shades of memory of that. So that was just a connection that I made. Obviously, I don't think there's any real connection there, but just something that it made me think of in a positive way. And the other thing, the other connection that I made thematically to elsewhere in the MCU was with Arthur Harrow and the the work that he does on behalf of the goddess Amit in through what appears to be some supernatural way. It seems as if he is uh, an avatar for her. Not entirely sure how that works yet. And it's not the blue people and it's not the anime. But uh, again, I liked that joke. But um, But yeah, so he is or sh or she is through him or he is claiming that she is through him judging people and deciding whether or not their lives should be ended based on not just their past deeds but what they might do in the future and thematically this reminded me of some of the work of shield in project insight in captain america the winter soldier where there's that philosophical discussion about the the appropriateness or not of taking out threats before they actively become a threat. 
And of course, we hear Arthur Harrow in this episode make the argument that uh, suggests that yes, this should happen. He he brings the examples of of Hitler and Pol Pot and the Armenian genocide up as examples of historical moments. Imagine if these could have been prevented. So Arthur Harrow seems to be a true believer for sure. From that very first scene where we see him that I wanted to circle back to, the opening scene with the Bob Dylan song, I at first you don't see his face or much of his body at all. You do see the tattoo on the arm. That probably should have been the first indication that this was not Moon Knight or or one of Moon Knight's identities, but I didn't notice that right away at first. So I'm thinking in the first few minutes, I'm like, who is this? Is this our protagonist? And of course, it ended up to to not be the protagonist. It ends up being Arthur Harrow, Ethan Hawke as Arthur Harrow. And what a harrowing, pun very much intended, first scene to be introduced to him, this, this gentleness with which he is preparing this glass that he then smashes and and the placing of the glass shards in the shoes before he carefully puts his feet into them and walks away. Um, this, you know, immediately I'm wondering to myself, like, oh, okay, is this is this person a zealot of some kind? Is this person delusional in some way? To what extent is this person a, a true believer? To what extent is this person evil in that uh, he has his own agendas and may be using this appeal to something larger than himself to get his own agendas to to service his own agendas or to what extent is this a person who truly believes in what it is that he is doing and it seems the first episode seems to suggest the latter that he is this true believer and so i am i'm very intrigued by that so of course i already mentioned all of the lovely quirks and and idiosyncrasies and mannerisms that Stephen Grant exhibits and and how we get to know him. People calling him the wrong name, which also feels which also feels very symbolic, a bit of foreshadowing or a bit of thematic connection to his relationship to his identity, who he is, who he appears to the outside world versus how he thinks of himself, etc. Interesting interaction between him and this little girl at the museum when he first walks in and and we're we're hearing this knowledge that he has about ancient Egypt. And so at first, at least I'll speak for myself, I didn't realize that he was working in the gift shop. I assumed that he had more of a, a guide or teaching role there. So this interesting interaction that he has with this kid where he's talking about this gruesome, gruesome ritual. And she says something to him like, how did it feel when you were rejected from the field of reeds? And he says, well, I'm not dead or so- something to this effect. I actually don't have it written down in front of me. And I thought that was interesting, right? Is this a bit of, is this some type of ironic comment? Is this a comment that is going to prove ironic in some way as we watch on? Is this foreshadowing in some way? So let's just bookmark that I'm not dead comment and maybe come back to that in the future. Great sequence. When he goes home, we see his evening routine. So at first we see his morning routine. We see the ankle restraint connected to his bed. We see the tape on the door. And then later we get to see the evening routine where he's setting up these things. He's setting up the sand and he's trying so hard to stay awake listening to the program. The program telling him to read and do puzzles and he's just staring at the ceiling and throwing the Rubik's Cube and really, really great sequence. And then of course the jarringness of him waking up in a field with a broken jaw, which was 
brutal to watch. So nasty. And that's, of course, when we're introduced to another voice telling him, go back to sleep, worm. You're not supposed to be here. Saying things like, the idiot is in control. Surrender the body to Mark. And this, uh, I'm assuming, I think we're assuming that this is the voice of Khonshu, but we do not know yet exactly what this relationship is. I spoke already about in the in the scenes after this at the town square and with the van, the cuts back and forth to when Stephen is, con- is in control and when Stephen's not in control. And I just, again, to reiterate, I love how much this episode keeps us in Stephen's point of view. And I am excited to get to know Mark and see that identity as well. But there's just something really special about sticking with Stephen and experiencing this confusion and this loss with him in this episode. In addition to the parts I already mentioned, I had a real visceral reaction to one of the times that he he wakes up on uh, in the van and he realizes that the van's going backwards down that really steep, scary looking cliff. And that that freaked me out very much. I, I, I did not like that image. I can handle blood and gore much more than I can handle the idea of waking up in a van that is going full speed downhill on the edge of a cliff. I mentioned already how wonderful Oscar Isaac plays this character's loneliness and sadness and heartbreak, specifically in that dinner date scene when he realizes that he's missed his date by two days. But he also plays the relief of Stephen waking up in bed you know, realizing that he's changed to the bed and just laughing and feeling so there's this relief on his face of like, oh, it was just a dream. Yeah, Oscar Isaac just plays that so well. There's something so, so sad about it. And when he's leaving another message for his mom about the date and saying that it went well, even though it didn't, and he's eating chocolate alone, very, he's just very, very, very endearing. Some other plot stuff that happens that I'm sure we'll learn more about next time. The missed calls from Layla in the phone that he discovers in the loose board uh, near the ceiling. Tons of missed calls from Layla and one from Duchamp. I'm not sure who these people are, if they have comics connections or what, but I'm sure we will find out. Uh, He actually has a phone call with Layla. She calls him and asking him, calling him Mark, what's wrong with you? Steven starts to hear, you know, now he's already heard the voice of Khonshu in his head. After thinking that what he went through was a dream, he goes to the store, he goes to the pet store, realizes that, you know, she's telling him, realizes that the the clerk there is telling him that he was there the previous day. His fish is not the same, two fins versus one fin, the date, the missing, the two days. And so he is really struggling now. There's now another voice in his head. He's hearing the voice of who we know is Mark. He has his fright on the elevator with this monstrous looking thing coming toward him. And it's just really, really well done. And the way we just stay with Steven in his fright and in his confusion is so powerful. Another harrowing moment when he's in the museum with Arthur and realizes that the security guard he thought he could trust and then all of these people that he's looking to to help him once he's cornered have the tattoo and are in on it with with Arthur that's that's also a really tense moment that was played really well Arthur tells him there's chaos in you and then of course later that night sends this horrific werewolf looking type monster thing at him not the same monstrous looking thing that was following him later that he sees coming toward him in the elevator This seems intent on destroying him very violently, much more animalistic. The bathroom scene with all of the mirrors, as I already previously mentioned, huge standout symbolically. 
And in this relationship that is going to develop between Stephen and Mark, Stephen is saying that you're not real. This isn't real. And Mark says, this is real. I'm real. Look at me. You're not going to die. Let me save us. And then we see Stephen. We see, we see the body transform into something else, something else perhaps take over it. We're not entirely sure yet. And then once again, we see some violence happening off screen before we kind of come around a corner and we see Moon Knight wailing on this monster and coming toward the camera. And that's episode one of of Moon Knight. I'm so looking forward to where the show is going to take us next. I'm looking forward to continuing to reflect on these themes and these characters. And if you would like to join me to talk about any upcoming episodes of Moon Knight, please feel free to reach out. And even if you don't want to join me on the show, if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, comments of any kind, please feel free to reach out to me on social media. I've been a little bit absent from the social media world lately, but I'm always happy to interact with listeners. Later, skaters. If you enjoyed this reflection on episode one of Moon Knight, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork by Brooke Pender and music by Demeter Salvia. You can find links to their work in the show notes. Thank you for listening and stay tuned next week as I reflect on the big ideas of episode two of Moon Knight. <laughs>